What, what, what am I? Take your seats, ladies and gentlemen. Let us begin. Poetry. Poetry night. Poetry night rings through. Let us please welcome Gene Irvin to our stage. Oh, how cool is that? The last reading I did, I had to hold my my iPad in one hand, the mic in the other hand, and I was supposed to time what I was doing, and I went over time because I forgot about the watch. Anyway, um, well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm uh, really interested in the natural world. A couple of a couple of months ago, I had to put a little bio blurb with one of my poems that went in a magazine. I think it went to to Cirque and Anchorage, and um, I said the reason Gene Irvin writes poems is because he never learned to journal properly, and so I uh, write poems. Anyway, the letter. This is the letter I never sent you. I have written so many that disappear in notebooks or drawers. I've written you about how sorry I am, about how much you were missed, or how thankful I am. But somehow they remain unsent my most heartfelt, my deepest messages. Maybe there isn't enough here for a stamp. So I close the notebook or shut the drawer, wishing you knew what was there, wishing even now, wishing you knew all of it. Thank you. Volume Glacier. Standing in front of the poetry section in the local bookstore, it hits me. The bookshelves are a glacier's face, a hanging glacier in the Alps, or Alaskan tidewater glacier, calving and rumbling. These books are years of experience, blasts of joy, crevasses of pain, deep drifts of disappointments pressed hard and scouring down. Then the outwash, mineral-rich water with mountains in it, roaring over boulders, eddying, bouncing off ledges into the void. In high valleys of the Himalayas, they grow apricots and drink that water and live long lives walking in thin air. I will draw a little meltwater, heat it, and brew tea. 
thaw out a volume to taste those mountains. A lot of my work um, was up uh, the Hall Road and towards Prudhoe Bay, up in the Brooks Range. And uh, this is a little poem. Those trips were driving trips, and they all always seemed to take on their own uh, own sense of humor and stuff. You have a question? No, I this this isn't logging stuff. This was this was in. I, I worked uh, first for the National Park Service as an exhibit planner, and I traveled all over the country. I worked at uh, Stevens Point in Chelan uh, on North Cascade stuff, but I also worked in Hawaii and and Grand Canyon and other terrible places like that that are called national parks. And um, uh, but anyway, this I was working for the Bureau of Land Management up on up on the Dalton Highway. The maps weren't that great. The land spread out before us until it met the sky. It was more than we imagined. The light was softer than we expected. It was all new country. The people liked animals. The mountains grew stark. There were few intersections. The streams were inviting, but we kept going driving north, becoming friends. Brooks Range. One of the interesting things about the Brooks Range to me was after growing up in Washington State where when you drive up to Mount Baker, there are trees right below the parking lot. Up in the Brooks Range, the mountains are naked. It's Mountains. Way above tree line, bare rock, small forbs, snow or ice in shoots. Both light and cloud shadow sweep crag and valley. It's all right there. Alaska is a library. In the anthology of landscapes, Alaska is the grand novel of place. All those intricate stories, epic lakes, rivers, fjords, islands, deserts, and glaciers. Alaska is a collection of short stories, of kayak capsizes, bluff charges, narrow escapes, storm-flung floatplane rides, hammering heartbeats. Alaska is creative nonfiction of mistakes and victories, love for a particular cove or peak at sunrise that drives hard into our memories. 
Alaska is a theology of revelation of how arteries and islands, mountains and valleys can change your life. This landscape is an evangelist that wins hearts and minds with its gestures and the hymns it sings in our hearts. Alaska is a memoir that you will write sunrise to sunset, fog wrapping an island on a still bay, a salmon splash in the shallows, low sun in the hoary cold, shining on ice-felted birch trees. Alaska is a poem which can't be memorized line by line, but astonishes each learner like a golden summer sunrise, softened by smoke from distant fires and measured carefully by the olive silhouettes of spruce trees marching across muskeg and valleys clear to our final tree line. Boreal spoons. Boreal, it's a word for northern, and the boreal forest is the only circumpolar ecosystem. If uh, you're familiar with Alaska and you find yourself in Russia or Scandinavia, it's the same place, kind of the same woods, and uh, it's interesting. Boreal spoons. Today I think of carved spoons. I think of blocks of wood cut from trees, split and stacked. I think of shape balance and decoration, sharp tools, chips and shavings. I would like to carve three spoons out of birch, wood that has been carved around the world in the boreal forest for spoons, blonde, simple, serviceable spoons, a wood that is heated moose, reindeer, bear meat, or salmon for soups, stews, and chowders, or sourdough pancakes and biscuits. Birch bark makes the best tinder, bursting easily into flame, and bohemian wax wings flock after its seeds on the snow at the end of winter. Hewing the spoons out of birch blocks with hatchet and bow saw, working at my chopping block, chips, splinters, knife shavings land nearby, kindling for bonfire or stove. The first spoon will be larger than a tablespoon with a long curved handle suitable for stirring a pot and scooping a soup dish full quickly, a spoon peasants have carved for so many years no one can count, carved for the minder of the pot, offered perhaps to make a woman's eyes sparkle, a gesture of long friendship, or to mark a new beginning. 
Soup is one of the gestures of love that the experts have missed. But surely on cold evenings, when things aren't working well, a good soup is nearly love itself. So one spoon for the cauldron, the stew, soup, or chowder. A spoon for you, a spoon for me. Your spoon then will be light, nearly delicate, good for soup, porridge, or berries. A delicate bend to the handle, chip-carved, Viking-style, and a fine bowl. My spoon will be plain and sturdy, bent handle, and a larger bowl. Good for the stews and chowders, something useful for me. While I admire you across the table. You were smiling at me there, and as long as I can see that, smiling back, spoon in hand, I, I, a simple man, feel fortunate and safe at home. Thank you. I hope somebody's kind of keeping track of the time because I didn't do any better this time than I did last time. So if you've got a hook, be happy to. Okay. A scroll with no brush. Uh, There's a place on Shaw Island that the University of Washington operates. It's called Cedar Rock Preserve. And it's... um, was my pleasure to stay there once and uh, I hope to stay there again and I wrote a little poem about it called A Scroll with No Brush. At the edge of the window in thick fog a madrona branch projects into the view like brushwork in a Japanese scroll. Beyond the silhouetted bow, rows of pilings stand in the water, a mute testament to where a dock once was. So many comings and goings. Now just cormorants land to stretch their necks and dry their wings. Islands rise out of the fog, taking shape, so now what could be art becomes our world. Thank you. House sitting ritual. I push your wheelbarrow out to the wood pile. Then I bow and bow as if introducing myself to each block. I wheel the wood back to the porch, then I bow some more, carrying the blocks in, bowing to the wood and the stove. It has been cool since you left, so I crumple newspaper between two blocks, strike the match, 
lay on the kindling and starting wood. After the flaring glow, things begin to crackle. Even in the morning cool, that sound is nearly warmth itself. The chimney draws, the logs burning, thankful for the flames, your woodpile and I friends. I grew up in Mount Vernon, and Mount Baker was always kind of a touchstone in the Skagit Valley. And in fact, it was so much of a touchstone, I went to school at um, Whitworth College in Spokane for a year, and I walked out of uh, the admin building and looked off to the east. And I saw Mount Baker, which uh, was totally not right. Anyway, this is a little poem about Mount Baker. On my skyline, it is a great place to turn to. It tells me where home is and talks about the weather. I like its moods and colors. Sometimes at sunset, you just mutter, it's strawberry. It's got to be strawberry ice cream. Other days, that mountain slow dances with the clouds, tucking into the moment, then disappears. And when I think about uh, Mount Baker, it's it's hard not to think about the the disturbing shooting at the Burlington Mall. And I don't know what to do about that. Nobody else does either. But I came up with a small suggestion. You know, the Second Amendment folks are upset about anybody taking away their Second Amendment rights. But what about if we just passed a bill that they, that said that Colt and Smith and Wesson and anybody else that wants to sell an assault rifle has to sell it at cost? They can sell it, but it has to be sold at the cost of the materials. Anyway, here's a little poem. This is just a list, but I chose the words very carefully. Well, I thought it was carefully. That's up to you guys to make a decision on, because I don't know what you think. But anyway, history. Stick. Stone, bone, addle-addle, bow and arrow, bronze, iron, steel, crossbow, firelock, 
wheel lock, flint lock, percussion cap, center fire, lever action, bolt action, machine pistol, assault rifle, Hiroshima, shade tree, cave, rock shelter, standing stone, hill fort, mead hall, castle, Maginot line, fjord bunker, stalactites. What, what war means? Waking. I feel your gentle breath in my mustache. Our children sleep easily in happy rooms. I remember that this can be and has been all taken away. Never enough. Uh, we have uh, two kids, a, a daughter who is 36 this year. It's always good to have at least one kid who's born on an even decade year because it's easy to keep track of them. And I've got a, a son, Robert, who's uh, three years younger than she is. Never enough. It pains me at the end of the news as the faces of young boys flash across the screen. So I count them. This one, older than my Sarah. This one, younger than my Robert. Briefly, I translate the pain to my heart. My home, my son, my daughter. At least imagining what has been lost to us for all time, realizing that my accounting is just a slight dip into the vast pool of those families' grief. We have such a number to mourn from years past already. Too many to remember. Just one Memorial Day will never be enough. You spoke, uh, Dr. Gary, of uh, an aphraxis. Here's a, an aphraxis I had have a friend who I'd hoped would be here, uh, who didn't make it, who took a, a wonderful picture of a Buddhist monk in his robes in, um, 
in mid-stride beside a huge mud puddle. And this is an Afraxis poem, a poem based on an artwork um, about that. And this is After the Rain, Vietnam. It was a downpour. The clouds came quickly off the gulf, a deluge. The water pounded off the roofs and sluiced down ditches. The steamy heat didn't dissipate, but the insects and spiders hid under leaves and held on. Cobras swam for high ground. Afterward, the air was sweeter while the streets glistened in the late morning. People came outside. A young monk walked seriously down the street, skirting a large puddle in sandals. The four-year-old urchin and his near-naked little sister splashed right through it. Ah, how brief! are the joys of this world, ditching puddles and floating small things downstream. And this is another Afraxis poem from a picture from that same trip that he made. It's called Rice Patties at Dawn. It isn't really cooler but in the early light, the rice paddy dikes mark the landscape like nearly living contour lines of civilization drawn by sore, bent backs, muck and hunger on a land so old that it is hard for me to understand where to begin with a camera. So I start here, catching the simple sweeping lines of these patties in the new day breaking. And it's fever in Benares. Benares is on the Gangiatic Plain, and that's where the burning ghats are for the, uh, at least some of the burning ghats are. And my friend got really sick there. He didn't provide me with a photograph, but this is about his travel. Fever in Benares, sick and broke nearly dead and alone on the trodden plain. The sweet smell of the burning gats drifting across my ruined body. So many people going places to buy food, to mourn, to help burn their dead. There will be no fire for me this week. Either get beyond the fever or be discarded. This wasn't what I had been looking for, 
but it found me that place of death, ritual, and cleansing. Sometimes you can walk away from a crisis. Sometimes someone will carry you. But sometimes no excuses suffice. And in conclusion, you have arrived. Uh, my my mother uh, passed away in 2010. And one of the little mementos we brought away was a funny little fat-bellied mug that I uh, like to drink my tea in. Emptying the dishwasher. I bend and pick up my late mother's coffee mug, the fat one, with the belt of spots that reminds me of those Arctic photos of the sun on the summer solstice that never sets but stays the same distance above the horizon. It used to hang on the rack beside her kitchen range. I use it for my teas these days. It seems to matter more than most of the mugs in the cupboard. It may be hard to really understand it now, but somehow, because she has finally slipped away, this cup is like a residue from an older civilization, just a piece of pottery an ordinary bit of daily life, a small echo which now, in an instant, seems so long ago. Snow geese return. Um, boy, getting... getting to the end of winter is a big thing in Alaska because we've got lots of winter to get rid of. And it goes on a, a good long time. Um, these big white birds stroke the atmosphere, eddying the air and sweeping flakes away in their paths between the ridges of serrated mountains finding their way home. This V knows this valley, its surrounding peaks, lakes, and patterns of spruce and birch. Where they have been is too far to know. Where they are going is still some distance. But they are back now to this tattered edge of winter where the anxious edge of spring rubs against it, erasing what had been before. This weary flock picks its way up a bitter songline to spring. Actually, truth be told, 
Some of the snow geese winter in Neil's backyard. My friend here. One of the things, uh, Nancy and I lived in in, uh, Sitka for a while, and I got to meet uh, uh, carvers, and uh, that was a a wonderful experience. And one thing that was wonderful was uh, the way uh, Clinket or Clinket people would were or, orators, and they would always start their their talk, and they would they would look at you and, and tell you thank you for being there. They'd say, "Gunasjish," and uh, then they would 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 thank individual people, and they would would name the clans that they were from, and and they would thank each clan in turn. And, and then they would begin with their oratory. And uh, I'd, I'd like to thank each of you for sitting here listening to these little poems, and I, I appreciate it. Anyway, Gunasheesh. Northwest coastline. Black and red form line binds bl- box, blanket, and house front pull, pipe, and rattle like the weft thread around the warp of a chilcat robe. The form line woven by canoe and cedar among islands and estuaries from Bella Bella North, Tsimsian, Haida, and Hlingit, traveled south by marriage and changed, covering the coast. Now in London, Leningrad, Denver, or D.C., there it is, that art, raven, head cocked, watching the world, ready to hop or fly. On seeing Norman Tate's pole from Kassan at the Heard Museum, Phoenix, Arizona, like a bird rising from ashes, the memory comes of a conversation about a carving shed in Kassan with one Bare light bulb, shadows, shavings, and the subtle smells of cedar. Burning masks. After you've learned to sharpen several different knives, Crooked, straight, and gouge. Knives to clean out the V at the corners of the eye ovoids and know what woods to choose. After you learn the rules of arc, center line, and proportion, 
all the rules of layout, marking out finer and finer details after considering all those subtle relationships. It would all be foolish without the stories of triumph and failure, tricks, hope, and laughter, stories of heroes and fools, villains, animals, and spirits. In the flicker of flame and darkness, movement and moment, present and past, from the shadows cast by trunk, bow, fronds, and needles, puddle splash, torrent, drips, and raven calls, after fine shavings and careful paint, the leather, cedar bark, and eagle down, the mask will leave the knife and brush offered to its dance and dancer. Pleased, the carver turns to the woodpile to begin again or chuck another block on the fire. Frightening Demons. Gary Snyder once said, rainforests migrate as a group. The Sitka spruce butt block, 10 feet long, carved for a temple guardian, fierce eyes bulging, carved with clever blades, the metallurgy of ancient conflict, steel sliding through spruce cells, sighing like cherry petals driven down a fresh-swept path. Roughed-in gestures violent, mudras for frightening demons. A spruce uh, for frightening demons for protecting tranquility. A spruce butt in Japan. A natural trick of entrepreneurs carved to preserve tranquility. Saw snarling, toppling the spruce, pulling the clouds down and tearing the heart out. The 12 foot splinters left on the stump. When the clouds are gone, bear, raven, and eagle will leave. Salmon will swim in circles offshore and on the ragged rocks that are left, even Kushtaka, dread drowning sea land otter man, will have no place to go. And here's a bureaucratic poem, Recreation. Standing on a 400-year-old western hemlock log, waiting for the chokers in a clear-cut above Peril Straits, 
beyond the sweep of stumps and battered slash, a long string of swans streams east to join the flyway. Under the gray clouds, we watched the lid of the rigging slingers, Copenhagen can, sail downhill on sodden thermals. Here on the Tongass National Forest, they call it multiple use, call it recreation. How are we doing time-wise? One more? Okay, thanks. This is called Kayaking West Chichigoff. Um, in 1980, uh, the American people set aside part of Alaska approximately equal to California as wilderness uh, under uh, Jimmy Carter. It was the largest conservation act ever in the history of the United States. Uh, West Chichigoff, Yacobi Island wilderness is... Uh, one of the areas that was saved from uh, Japanese pulp mills by that legislation. Kayaking West Chichigoff. After a hard crashing through the alder tops courtship flight, two eagles soar and join above our bow. Paddles drip as the eagles' talons locked fall, then part and swoop away. We hear their wings. Our boat glides down a clear passage between dark islands. It leads to kelp beds where sea otters bask on their backs eating urchins. How could we turn back? And now, how do we explain being so far away? Gunas Chish. Thank you, Gene. I just feel like the stone itself has given us its long, warm word. About a big round of applause for Gene Irvin and for everybody who's read tonight. Poetry, my. No, 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 no. I like punching babies.